We spoke about the tremendous nisim which happened at the mirror as the Muhammad with the five kings. And then it says after that, The Jewish camp was based in Gilgal. After the war, the Yeshua and the rest of Israel returned to the camp in Gilgal. Now you have to understand what this Pasuk is doing here, because the Navi hasn't finished telling us about the war yet. So why is it bringing here a Pasuk which describes what happened after the war? We'll see. So going back to what happened during the battle, What happened was the five kings, they they fled, like their armies fled, but the kings, they hid in a cave. So while the rest of the nations or armies were getting slaughtered or being pummeled with the hailstones from Shemaim, the kings took refuge in this cave. We found the five kings, they're hiding in this cave in the place called Makeda. So what did Yeshua say? Roll stones over the opening to the cave so then they'll be blocked inside and put guards there to make sure they don't try and get out. In other words, he wasn't interested now in chasing the kings. He was more interested in chasing the soldiers. We'll see there's a reason for this also. So after they've blocked the entrance to the cave and left guards there, don't stay here. Read for Achrayavechim, chase after your enemies. Vizinavte Moisam, which literally means you'll catch their tail, which means kill the last of them. Al Titznum, Lava Elareim, Kinusanam Hashem Elakechem Biyatchem. And that's what happens. The Klai shall chase the fleeing armies. Vayhi Kachalos Yoisho, Vinei Yisrael Akhoisam. What do you mean? It says, don't let them get to the cities. And what was the significance? Vayhi Kachalos Yoisho, Vinei Yisrael Akhoisam, Makogdolem Oed Ad Tumam. When Yeshua and Bnei Israel had dealt them Maka a very heavy blow at someone until they were destroyed but not everybody the survivors, the stragglers who survived so they made it back to their cities so we see that the, the, the Milchama was a Milchama in the field and Yeshua at this stage doesn't chase them into their cities the ones who went to the cities escaped that day all the people who had uh, all the warriors, they, they regathered by Makedo. If we remind ourselves, that's where the cave was, where the kings were hiding. Which literally means Klai Yisrael suffered no casualties in the war. Now, why this is significant is there's a certain understanding in battle that even the victorious army suffers losses. Like David HaMelech later on is going to say to Yoav, when Klai Yisrael destroyed Amoin, and Klai Yisrael did suffer losses, even though they won the war, the nature of battle is that both sides fight, there's a lot of ammunition, there's a lot of swords, arrows, whatever it was around, and even if one side is victorious, but we're going to assume that both sides are going to suffer some, some amount of casualties. Right? A nice run by Shemayim is in the category that no one dies. And therefore that's a, is a definition that you see how Kaddish Baruch was in charge, that there were no casualties. Because war has a certain logic to it, and war has a certain, uh, let's say, science of how it's going to work. But even in a war where one army is victorious because they're stronger, because they have better strategy, whatever other reason it is, you can't stop casualties. The Matthias of the battlefield is that there are going to be casualties on both sides. And therefore, the nature of a war which doesn't have any kind of 
logic or, or science to it. It's something which is clearly in Hashemayim is the fact that there are no casualties. We find this by a few wars. For example, when Klaishal went to find, fight Midian in the Torah. So they came back, the, it says, the Pasuk says that the generals of the army came to Moshe and they wanted to make a special carbon because they didn't lose a single man in battle. And therefore it's a sign that there was a certain Siyat and in the battle. And same thing over here. As we've seen for a number of reasons, the Nisim which happened in this war, that it was a war orchestrated in Hashemayim. And the last proof of that is that the Klaishal didn't suffer any casualties um, during the course of the battle. Okay, so they come back to Makeda, they've regrouped. They haven't destroyed every last survivor, they haven't taken the cities yet, but they killed everybody in the field, except for the five kings who are still trapped in their cave. So now Yeshua's going to deal with the kings. Open the mouth of the cave. And bring me the five kings who are in the cave. That's what the Jewish people did. They brought the five kings from the cave to Yeshua, Esmelech Yishalayim, Esmelech Hebron, Esmelech Yarmus, Esmelech Lachish, Esmelech Ekron. Those are the, five, the kings of these five cities. How much time and space was it? When these five kings were brought to Yeshua, Yeshua calls the whole Kal Yisrael, Kal Yisrael to watch what he wants to do. And he says a very strange thing. You don't understand why he's doing this. He tells the generals, the leaders of the army who went with him, come close to me. Put your feet on the necks of these kings. So as the generals did, and they put their feet on the generals' necks, on the king's necks. And you have to understand what is the significance of this. Don't be afraid. This is what Hashem is going to do to all your enemies that you're fighting against them. And this war was symbolic of the future wars. And therefore, this idea of putting their, their foot on the enemy's neck was a certain source of victory, a concept of victory, I'll explain in a moment. And once he's done that, after Yeshua killed the five kings, he hung them on five trees. He, they remained hanging not for a long time, just until it became dark that night. The sun was going to set. Yeshua gives a command, they bring them down from the trees. They throw them back into the cave where they'd been hiding. So that, that cave became their tomb. They, blocked, they, they were buried inside it. Why did Yeshua first hang them and take them down? This is the instruction of the Torah. And that is, we don't leave a person hanging overnight. And therefore, even though hang, hanging them was meant to be symbolic of the victory over these five kings, but the Allah says, we don't let a person, leave a person hanging overnight, even though the, in the context of the Torah, it's talking about Yidin, not Goyim. Right? But you see that here and other times as well, that the Sephara, or the reason the Torah gives, is Kirala Salakim Taloi, that a person is made with Salam Alakim. It's a disgrace to leave him hanging. And therefore, even by Goyim, they didn't even hang overnight. Before it was dark, they cut them down and they buried them. Because that part you understand. Um, the mitzvah to kill all the inhabitants of Canaan are planned to kill the kings as well. That was, that was, that was, for sure they were going to kill them, just like they killed everyone else. The question was, what is the symbolism of putting their foot on the enemy's neck? Now, the, this is something which we find 
other places, a similar idea as well. Already it's a pasuk Torah. The pasuk says in the Torah, we're talking about our victory over the enemies when we're successful. You will step on the highest points. The Gemara brings us that when um, Mordechai was fasting, and Haman tells him, uh, Haman gets told by Hashverosh, go take the horse and the clothing and dress Mordechai and, and parade him around on the horse. So the Gemara in Megillah gives a graphic definition that Haman comes to Mordechai and he says, Mordechai the king says, I have to parade you around on the horse. And at the end of the story, so I'm an old man. Right, so Haman says that he's going to bend down and Mordechai stands on his back, so to speak, to help him lift him onto the horse. And the Gemara says a certain victory. But I told them the same with Tidrach, you're going to you're going to trample them. Right? So instead of Haman being erect, they were bound down to Haman, Mordechai could have stood on Haman's back. And his own, even though it was only a step to get onto the horse of Achashverish, but nevertheless that was a certain victory. And the same I hear idea I say that you're going to stand on them. The Emerson's beside us. He says married every night. Part of this what we thank Hashem for um, the victory over our enemies isn't just that we destroyed them, but he made us walk, so to speak, he made us stand direct to, to step on on the high point of our enemy. Okay, so we've seen a number of times the same idea. The, the question is what's the significance of that? You can be stronger than someone by defeating them if you want to meet a punishment and they could, they could kill them. What was the idea of that? And that was a message to the generals that you see that you're above them. The Maral says that when he's describing the different uh, factors about a human being, there are different animals. So one or two are famous, as you all say straight away, that a human being can think, a human being can talk. There are a few more also which aren't as famous. One is that every person looks different. The Gemara says that empire is a famous shiny, and Daimus says that Hashem creates everyone's appearance different as opposed to animals which could look alike to a much greater degree. But there's another point that Maral brings also. And it's, it's possible if you think about it, but it's not often mentioned in this context the difference between humans and animals. And that is, animals stand on four feet and humans stand on two. And even those animals which, which can train themselves for a certain amount of time to walk on two feet, but the natural position is on four. Right? For example, monkeys, whatever it's going to be, who could, for so short periods, walk on their hind legs, they match the natural positions to be on, support themselves in all four of their legs. Whereas a human being naturally walks on two feet. It's only a baby who can't walk yet, has to crawl. What's the significance of that? What's the significance of a person walking on two legs and a person animal walking on four? And let me explain something. It's not because the person's more agile, right, and can run faster on his two legs. On the contrary, animals can run much faster on four legs than people can run on two. It's also not because a person needs his hands for activities, because the same animals can also use their hands, whatever they're using their hands to do. Well, if they're not using their hands, they're going to balance themselves on four. Right, now going back to my example. Monkeys who could use their hands to pick fruit, whatever they're going to do with them, but the natural position is to use it to support their weight. They, they, they walk around on four legs. Right? So, why, so the reason why a person, so to speak, supports it on two legs isn't because he needs his hands. You could do both. You could use your hands to, uh, for mobility, and then when you need to, to do something, you use your hand it could double up for two different uses. Why does, the, why does Hashem create a person dafka on two and on all the animals on four? Says the Maral. Says the Maral, it's the pride of a person. A pride of a person that is not subservient. 
the position of being on all four is a position of subservience. A person bends. Right? Just like if a person would bow down to somebody, he's basically going back into that position on his hands and his knees. Right? And that's a, a, a submissive position. Whereas a person standing erect, that's a position of importance. Right? And therefore, Hashem wants to show the significance of the human being over the other creations he made. And therefore, Akadosh Baruch creates a person standing erect and all the animals are bowed bow down to him. They're all on all four, which is in the submissive pose, whereas the person stands erect, that's the size of godless. It's a size of importance. And uh, therefore, I mean, this is understood, this is in the morale for this, but this is Bashit. That's why when a person comes into the presence of somebody, he has to be submissive to. So basically, the position of being submissive is to bend down. Whether it's just what the Gemara calls Kiddo, which is just bending down on one's knees, or it's full, full prostration, but it's the same idea. Right? To stand erect in front of a king is disrespectful. You consider yourself to be individually important. Right? To adopt the position of to, to bend... Right, is to show that you're subservient to something else. Right. Now, therefore, uh, the male of a person, like we said before, that naturally he stands straight. That's his, that's his prominence. That he doesn't, he's not subservient. When the, there's two points to defeating an enemy, there's two points to defeating an enemy. Um, the one is that you can stronger than they are. You're stronger than they are, and if you can kill them, because you're stronger than them. There's another point also, and that is that it brings them to a, a sense of subservience, that they, that they, so to speak, concede, they admit, or they surrender. That means they're what I mean. Right? There are battles, I'm not justifying it as a hashkafa, but just to give us a marshal. There are battles where one army defeated the other one, but the slogan of the last army was, we'll die as free men. We're not going to concede to anybody. If we'll, we'll fight till the death, and if we die, we die. But we're, not, we're never going to concede. They say in Messiah that's what happened. I don't know. Right? Their the, the slogan definitely was better die as free men than live as slaves. So exactly what happened. I don't know what happened in the end there, but uh, again, it's not after the right Ashkafa of Peter. But even though the Romans won, they never got the Jews to concede. They won because the, the Jews died. But it wasn't there was ever a concession. There was never, no one ever submitted to them. Right? Now, so therefore, there's one way to win a war that you're stronger than the enemy. You just you partially kill them. There's another way to win the war, and that is that the enemy is subservient. That you've brought them down to a, a, a stage of subservience that they acknowledge your victory, that they acknowledge you're greater than they are. Now, Hakadosh Baruch Hu doesn't have an Indian just to kill an enemy. Being stronger, Hakadosh Baruch Hu is stronger than anyone. So if the idea was just to be stronger, that you can overpower them and kill them. There's no chokhmah. Baruch Hu to anyone. What, what's the, the victory be'etzim is, and this is that the person acknowledges that he's lost. He's subservient. He bends. Why? Why? Because this is up to a person. A person can die defiantly. His bechir is up to him. So it's a funny thing to say, but instead in these words, HaKadosh Baruch can kill somebody. But love dafka can Hashem force a person to submit. If he wants to be a Russian and go down to fighting, that's his Bechira. He can die a Russia. Victory means that it brings the person to a, brings the enemy to a stage where they're submissive, when they're bent. And that's what the Torah is saying. You'll stand on top of them, which means that you'll see that they'll submit to you. It won't just be that you'll win and they'll die fighting. They'll submit. I'll give you an example, which is the first in the Torah. When it came to Mitzrayim, when it came to Yamsuf, 
So Hashem was going to kill the Egyptians. They were all going to drown. There was nothing I could do about it. So could Hashem overpower them? For sure. But Hashem wanted something else. And that is, just before they got drowned, like the Pasuk says, the Mitzvah came to realization, we lost. And we thought we were stronger. We are going to attack the Jewish people. We are going to bring them back. Omar, Oyev, Erdav, Asik, Echalek, Shalom. They said, we are going to win. We are going to bring back spoils. We are going to kill them. And now they realize, Hashem Nilcham Nebuch Mitzvah. I'm going to try run away because I can see Hashem is fighting. There's nothing I can do. Which was a certain submission. And it was the same thing we find again and again. The idea of is that the enemy realizes that he's lost. He's submissive. And therefore we stand on top of him. That's what Yeshua was trying to show the generals over here. And that was also what the message he gave them. And that is, he says to them, when he tells them to put their, to stand, so to speak, on the neck of the, of the kings, he says, you should know, This is what Hashem is going to do to all your enemies. Not just that you're going to win. That's what Hashem is going to do for you. What Hashem is going to do to all your enemies is He's going to bring them to submission. Don't be scared because the Messiah, this is what Hashem is going to do in the future, also that they'll give in, they will, they will surrender. And that's the second aspect, that's the second aspect to to a victory. There's another point here also. And that is, Lemaisa. There's a much bigger Kiddush Hashem when the Rosh admits, admits that he's lost. He surrenders than when he dies fighting. If a person goes down the Russia, right, it's at least a certain kind of something unsolved. It's like he never realized he was wrong. He never, the Kharatan, he was never a recognition that even if he died, but it doesn't bring that certain point of closure that there was a trouble, that there was an end point that he realized he was wrong. I'll give an example, which the, which the Meshkichah at the time gave. Right? Let's say the story of, of Purim ends satisfactorily. Haman, not just that he died, but he realized that he was wrong. Not full people of you're going to fall at his feet. Exactly what happened. Before Haman dies, Haman falls in front of Esther. The same idea. It wasn't just he got killed. Submission. It, end, it ends in a way which we... There are other times also. There were presses of the Jewish people and it ended with their downfall in a way which, so to speak, finishes the cycle. We see that they realize they lost. There are other times when there were presses and enemies of the Jewish people that never happens. It's, they, the oppression ended. The oppressor died. But there was never a step where... Kilo, we feel that we, over, we that they came to this point of submission. I'll give you some examples. I'll give you some examples. Throughout history, it's always the same force. The Roman Empire, who did tremendous damage to Israel. Besides for the Khurban, besides for Beta, besides for the oppression. Yes, the Roman Empire is no longer. But it never conceded. It disintegrated. It, it went into infighting. It was invaded from all different directions by various tribes. There was never a concession that the Romans felt that Israel beat them. They always thought they won. We never got the idea that there was a closure for Rome. Same thing. The Nazis. There was never a concession. Either they died or they disappeared or whatever, or they killed themselves, whatever happened to them. Was there ever a concession they felt they were wrong? Never. Stalin's Russia. Also, they died. The communism disintegrated. Was there ever a concession? Was there ever a feeling... Germany surrendered. The fact that uh, someone uh, oppression ends or the oppressor dies 
isn't the same Kiddush Hashem as when he is Moideh, when he realizes that he was wrong, whatever, in any, whatever sense it's going to be. Okay, so that's the, that's the idea over here. And that's why Yeshua makes a point of keeping the kings until the end of the battle in order to show you. That's why he didn't kill them straight away. He kept them until the end of the battle in order to demonstrate this, this lesson which he wanted with them. And afterwards he killed them like the rest of the people. That's we're holding now. And now we'll see um, Yeshua is going to go back and destroy the cities. This will see tomorrow, Be'ez Hashem, which were left behind, having destroyed the armies. He's now going to go back and destroy the cities. We'll see it tomorrow. And also the puzzle we just started with, why it says it now, that Yeshua went back to the Machmin and Gilgal. The that doesn't, that's out of, out of place. It doesn't belong here. We'll talk about it tomorrow.